Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast, a podcast where we dig into the fascinating issues, conditions, and quandaries in the massage and manual therapy world today. I'm Whitney Lowe. And I'm Tel Luca. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Thinking, Thinking Practitioner. Practitioner. Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner, where Books of Discovery has been a part of massage therapy education for over 20 years. Thousands of schools around the world teach with their textbooks, e-textbooks, and digital resources. Books of Discovery likes to say learning adventures start here, and they see that same spirit here on the Thinking Practitioner podcast and are proud to support our work, knowing we share the mission to bring the massage and bodywork community enlivening content that advances our profession. Check out their collection of e-textbooks and digital learning resources for pathology, kinesiology, anatomy, and physiology at booksofdiscovery.com, where Thinking Practitioner listeners save 15% by e entering thinking at checkout. And today's show is also sponsored by the Academy of Clinical Massage, where our mission is to help you become a better practitioner working with pain and injury conditions. You know it's challenging to find high-quality training in your location when you need it, and we bring exceptional orthopedic massage training to the comfort of your home through our innovative online programs so you can learn anytime, anywhere, and immediately help more of your clients. This year, we're completely revising all of our online orthopedic massage programs, and our lumbar spine course just recently launched in its new format and is now available. So you can learn more about these programs at academyofclinicalmassage.com. Hey, Academy of Clinical Massage, that sounds familiar. Don't they have like a really interesting uh, curriculum and lead teacher? Who is that? I have heard that. I have heard rumors to that effect. Some, I don't you, know if Whitney. it's true. That's right. That's you. The Academy <laughs> of Clinical Massage is our own, very own Whitney Lowe. Great to have you as a sponsor. Thank you, Whitney. All right. Well, Till, what is our theme for the day today? I wanted to talk about good questions. What, uh, How to craft a good question, what makes a good question, the power of questions. And it just so happened that you had a lot of good questions about questions. We have uh, a bunch of ideas here for guys with questions. We sure have a lot of answers to get through too. That's right. <laughs> so uh, we got the I, questions. We don't necessarily we, have the answers. <laughs> <laughs> right. We got plenty of stuff to do. Let's see where we go yeah. because it's a favorite topic of mine. Yeah. And there's this working assumption I have that really questions are one of my main verbal tools. One of the main ways that I do my work or that support my work verbally is through the use of questions of various sorts mm -hmm. at different times. And uh, this is a quote I love. It's Albert Einstein. He said, if I had an hour to solve a problem and my life depended on the solution, I would spend the first 55 minutes determining the proper question to ask. For once I know the proper question, I could solve the problem in less than five minutes. And sometimes it's like that with clients. We just, we spend time finding the right question, crafting the question, trying to find out what is it exactly that's disturbing the client or mm -hmm. evoking the problem or what is it they're most interested in. And these, of course, you're, you have some great stuff to share about the intake interview process and how we take time crafting those questions. But sometimes I feel like my whole session or maybe my whole like series of sessions with a client is a question that we're crafting together to try to find the answer for. Yeah. And I would also just put in a plug here too, because I've watched you do this a number of times in presentation processes as a teacher um, in trying to lead students to discovery when they ask questions, you ask them questions about their questions. And that I think oftentimes leads to sometimes deeper levels of inquiry about things. I hope so. No, I think 
I I like questions because then we can we can really I like student questions let's say because then I can un, it helps me understand what they're interested in mm-hmm. where they're what they're grappling with what they don't quite get but also what they want out of it yeah I you know I I don't want to use just a return question as a way not to answer a question but a more way to really find out what is this question about this is so cool yeah yeah I love doing that too of just asking people when they ask questions sometimes they are about you know cl- you know conundrums clinical conundrums yeah. or something like that what should i do and i'll ask them well what do you think you know because we're trying to help create that um hey thinking practitioner in each individual so um, yeah. that often is is done by having them work on it to work yeah. on the thinking process of questions that's right that's right all right so i put up a facebook post um and ask you know, like what are your some of your favorite questions and there's a lot of good questions there we got a big list of them and i think they they did actually help me clarify some of my own thinking and uh, i'll put a link in the show notes to that post if you want to go see yeah like this big list of cool questions people are brainstorming there well, uh, what kinds of questions should we yeah. look into i'm going to frame it if uh if you're willing to play along as three kinds of questions one is client questions. We've been talking about those so far. Questions we would use in the process of working with a client. Questions for ourselves to ask ourselves. And a lot of times those go together with the client questions. I'm asking myself questions as I work and helping keep myself keep on track, for example. And then we're going to end with a little bit about mentor or supervision questions. Like how do we come up with questions about what we don't know? How do we come up with questions to ask you know, in a supervisory context or a peer or to go look up for ourselves. How do we craft those questions? Because that is a hidden superpower Mm -hmm. for super learners and really help people go farther with their work when they can craft their own questions. Okay. Client questions, starting with those. We could organize them chronologically into four phases. The pre-session questions that I might ask myself or my client, then the initial interview questions. And like I said, you got some great stuff with that. Some questions we'll ask while we're working, while we're doing the session, and then questions to wrap things up and close it. A little bit about the pre-session questions first. They help set the context for me, mostly. But I might reflect a little bit before I start, really, while I'm waiting for my client to arrive, what is important for me in this session as the practitioner? And that could be if there's something from last session that I I still wanted to follow through with or check in about. Is there a theme that I want to keep in mind with this uh, client, particular client? Or is there something that I'm wanting to pay attention to, like comfort in my own body or a way to work with this person in a way that helps me stay in my own uh, decision-making capacity? And maybe it's a chance to set you know, an intention for myself that I might ask myself, what what uh, or how do I want to be in my own body or my own mindset during the session too? Yeah, where do I want to come from? Right. That's what I. That's what I mean about pre-session questions. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, I also do. Typically, I'll do a phone pre-session interview with clients before I work with them the first time. And so, a lot of what we're going to talk about next, which are like the initial interview questions, come into that as well. But you have some great questions to ask us about that uh, initial interview. What are some some examples of things you think we should ponder there? Well, um, you know, just sort of starting at the beginning, um, I think, 
you know, like and then and this is interesting what you said too, and I'm I'm curious about this in terms of initial um uh, uh sort of a connection with your client, let's say over yeah. the phone with some of these things. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, a lot of what we're trying to do is is establishing that therapeutic relationship with them and their clients. And mm-hmm. and you know, how how do you think that plays out in terms of uh doing that on the phone versus having that first meeting be in person. Do you think there's a, a difference there of, of establishing that, that sort of connection? Because that is certainly one of the most powerful aspects of what we're doing. Yeah. It's much better. Mm-hmm. It's much better as a tool. It's an amazing tool because for one, I get to screen. I can't see everybody that I, you know, that wants to come see me and for, I'm in that fortunate position. So that helps me really pick the people that I think we can develop a rapport with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it also helps me cover some of the bases on the information level, helps them get a feel for me. So they know whether I'm somebody they want to work to. So it essentially preloads and pre-screens a lot of that. So that that therapeutic connection has already started. Yeah. It's amazing the kind of connection you can get on the phone too. It's never as good as in person. Mm-hmm. Never, never. But it does allow for a lot of great uh, therapeutic relationship things to get established. Yeah. I would also have to wonder if perhaps, you know, for some people, maybe let's say people who haven't been to see uh, a manual therapist before and doesn't really know what that's going to entail. And there's a lot of maybe trepidation about what's going to happen yeah, and how right. it's going to be done. Right. That sense of of being able to have that initial communication with you in the safety and comfort of their own home or wherever they are on the phone yeah may yeah. help put them at ease a little bit for the time when they come in because you then already essentially have an established relationship with them by the time they come in and uh, have already had a communication and connection with you there. I think you're right. And it's becoming more and more common, especially COVID pushed us into a lot of virtual interactions, but in, in mental health, yeah, they said about one third of mental health is currently telehealth in this country too. Yeah. So it's really, it is the future and there is a quite a bit of useful work that can be done there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, once we get together, I'm glad that you brought up the therapeutic relationship piece too, because that really is the, you know, the thing that needs to be established and needs to have the right tone set there. What what else is do you want to say about the therapeutic relationship? Well, I mean, one of the reasons I kind of put that at the top of the list yeah. is because I think that's probably the most important thing that we'll be doing in in terms of our our connection with 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 that person. Obviously, they they may be coming to us for a variety of reasons, either for general wellness purposes or oftentimes to you know address something that they're not happy about what something feels or they're injured or they're in pain or something like that. But those uh, things are going to happen to a lesser or greater degree, I certainly think, based to a large part on how we establish that client-therapist relationship with them. So um, I certainly do think that that's that's a very important thing for, and, you know, this kind of gets into a lot of the uh, the issues around uh, listening skills and, and, you know, interview skills and things like that, that we were going to touch on here too, about, you know, how do you really connect with somebody and really make make sure that they understand you're paying attention because we've certainly I think seen this a lot in our in our healthcare system migrating in the last you know couple of decades to a place where you know everybody's using electronic health records and you're sitting there doing an intake with your healthcare professional and then they're typing away on their computer focusing on entering data into the mm. computer mm. and not really getting that sense of connection a lot of times with you if they unless they really stop and and pay attention to what you're doing or what you're saying to them. Yeah. And there there's good research that shows that 
therapeutic outcomes are directly tied to rapport. It's not everything, but if it's a lot harder to get good results, if you don't have that connection with your client. I certainly think that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then what are some examples of questions? And you said this term, you said open-ended questions. What are some examples that we could use as practitioners to get more information about our clients, say? Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of times, and I just think this is one of those things that's just really not taught real well in a lot of our entry-level entry, entry level education is, is how to take a comprehensive and thorough history with our clients. And, mm-hmm. you know, we often are sort of going by this uh, rote group of um you know, questions about, you know, do you have any recent surgeries? You know, do you have any things and try to screen for potential contraindications? But, you know, so often what a person really is looking for is for you to kind of dig into the nature of what's going on with them in their life in a lot of other ways. And that needs more detailed information. And, you know, when you ask a specific question like, does your shoulder hurt at night? Um, you know, that's could be either a yes or no question, but doesn't really allow for the subtleties of, of context of, of saying, well, you know, maybe sometimes and under certain conditions, yes. But, uh, you know, if you're asking something in a straight sort of yes, no question format, you often limit the type of information that you get back from them. So I really like to try to emphasize those open-ended questions like, Tell me about when you feel this pain. Is it more or less at any particular time of day or another? Because then you're getting all kinds of things that you might not have gotten with that other type of question. So important. I'm, I'm looking for my giant mental highlighter to, to highlight what you just said. Yeah. The open-ended question, a question that can't be answered with yes and no, opens up all kinds of possibilities in your conversation. You're going to get all kinds of information when you can phrase your question in an open way that you wouldn't get if you just said, are you exercising enough? Mm-hmm. As opposed yeah. to how 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 physically active are you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. First one being closed, second one being open. Yeah. Uh, and are I you, think there's subtleties of, yeah, of communication that we pick up on too in terms yeah. of seeing whether or not people maybe feel apprehensive about sharing some things or they feel confused about trying to get words to describe what they're what they're feeling or something like that. That's right. Yeah. The way people answer our open questions too tells us all kinds of information. Mm-hmm. But that open question, such a simple idea, we're all probably taught it at some point in our education. But I got to say, even with super experienced practitioners, myself included, it's the one kind of mentoring intervention or suggestion I make the most often. Like, can you? Ask, what if we phrase that in an open way, a way that allowed all sorts of answers instead of just the one answer and think I'm after? Yeah, do that without realizing. We say, "Does this hurt?" For example. Yeah. As opposed to, "What's this like?" Because mm-hmm. yeah. we might get a really different answer to the second question. Than yeah. A, yes. No. It doesn't hurt. It does hurt. Right. And you get, you know, you get to learn a lot more about your client asking them, you know, you know, what is the nature of this? How does this, you know, uh, how does this feel in here? Or is it, you know, and sometimes I've found, you know, a lot of times, and again, this is kind of like my bias of the world where I'm living more dealing with sort of pain and injury conditions. We'll find a lot of instances where people aren't really sure how to describe something that they feel and they yeah. might need some coaching or help. Like, yeah. uh, so you gotta be careful about the open-ended question 
that needs a little help, like how uh-huh. do you give them a little bit of coaching, but don't put words in their mouth to finish their statements for them? Nice. That's that's an art to it as well. It's true. The classic open-ended question that I use quite a bit is what what do you notice when you walk around? For example, some people that's too open, like you're mm-hmm. saying. Yeah. What do I notice? You got new blinds in here. What do you yeah, like? Notice? This room smells really good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <It's> really exactly. <laughs> yeah. But to narrow it down, so what do you notice in your body might help? Mm. Or it, it's still someone's still having trouble for that. It says, okay, so what happens when your foot lands on the floor? Is there more weight going to the outside of your foot or the inside of your foot? I might break it down to that simple kind yeah. of multiple choice thing too. Mm. But I will start with the broader funnel and help people find a specific way to answer. Yeah. Yeah. It's beyond, it's out of our scope right now, but there's a whole vocabulary of bodily sensation that's important to understand too. It's not the, I'm asking not about the idea someone has about their body or the diagnosis someone is giving them or their theory about what's wrong. I often at this point want people's actual physical experience. I want to know what they're feeling right now. Mm-hmm. So often my uh, my questions at this point in the interview are about, okay, so right now, what are you feeling in your body? Where do you, f- do you feel that right now? Where? Can you describe it to me? Because that really helps me to understand the present moment experience mm-hmm. separate from this uh, narrative they prepared before the session to read to you that lets you what, know what they think you need to know to, to fix yeah. their problem. Right. Yeah. And do you find that that colors your... Um, perspective or idea of how you want to approach each individual um, uniquely based on the way that they respond to those those questions with with their own language or or something like oh, that yeah. completely completely mm-hmm. i'm I'm trying to use their vocabulary. you said color, I'm trying to use their color palette mm-hmm. in my language, but also in their touch. I'll ask the question examples of opening questions. Uh, how did you get here? What brought you here today? Yeah. It's that open-ended uh, question to see what they say. They yeah. might talk about their referral. They might talk about their symptom. They might talk about their health journey. Mm-hmm. But I'm trusting that they're going to talk about something that's probably important for them. And that yeah. gives a sense of what, of how to connect with them and what that might be important to them to have as an outcome as well. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm reminded of, a, of something that happened to me many, many years ago. This was when I was back in Atlanta. Uh, work in the orthopedic clinic. And we had a lot of people that would come in from rural parts of the South because it, uh, you know they didn't get really high-level care um, in their local community. So they would come up to Atlanta. And this guy came in one time with a, a, a neurological, you know, probably lumbar disc or lumbar nerve root problem, but he kept talking about having this leader running down his leg. Have you heard that term before? Leader, I my my grandfather was from the south, and he was a fisherman, so I know I go right there. Yeah, so I had not heard that term before. It is a you know sort of a a rural, especially in the south, term yeah. referring to you know pain or unusual sensations going down the extremities. And I had to have him explain to me what a leader is. You know, like I don't sure. know what I don't know what he's talking about here. So it was interesting. Sort was of he t- was he talking about a line or a chord like feeling of pain is that what yeah it was basically okay. a sciatic nerve distribution sciatic of pain nerve. right down the back of his leg you know and so yes. uh, that's where that had come from but i thought like okay well that was a good learning one for the day here so nice yeah this this is this phase in the conversation when i'm just sitting back listening encouraging people to tell their story at least some of it 
I'm really thinking about like Ron Kurtz's advice. Uh, he said he listens to the storyteller even more than the story. Mm-hmm. It's that idea that the 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 metaphors they use, but especially the gestures, the posture, the mood, the emphasis in the voice is all coloring. Like you said, my my uh, work with them. They might show me with their hand something that if I have someone describe the pain. You know, they might make a movement or a face or do something with their voice that gives me a sense of the inside out quality. Yeah. And that really informs me intuitively as a practitioner to know how to meet that or contact it or what kind of yeah. respond to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So uh, I'm just going through my questions. We're covering a lot of it. I really want to know what's important to them at this stage in the game. Yeah. I might just ask that. What is important for you? What do you hope for out of today? Those kind of questions too. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, I think, um, an important one to clarify because, um, you know, a lot of times we may come with an idea of what we think they want or what we think we're supposed to be giving them. Right. And that's not really what they're there for, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. We can get our hammer uh, hammer awareness on like the only tool we have is a hammer. So we just look for nails Yeah, where someone says where it hurts and we're ready to go to work. Well, we might get a different answer if we ask, what do you hope for? What do you want at today's session? Yeah. And we, we're going to check in about that. There was an interesting response to a, a thread on Facebook. I cannot remember if it was in your question thing that was on this particular one or if it was in another thread because it was in the same time frame just within the last day or two. And yep. somebody said something interesting that I had never really thought of before. And it was about clients, you know, coming and seeking, um, you know, uh, a massage treatment with them. And they said, well, and this person was saying, clients don't want a massage. They want an outcome. They want an outcome of that experience. You know, it's not so much just like they want to come get that massage, but the massage they know does give them a transferring or transcendent experience to take them somewhere. And that's what they're really looking for is the outcome of that experience. And, and I think asking that person at the outset, what it is you're looking for really helps you perhaps more closely hone in on that um, so that you, you get those things aligned for your sessions. Right. And there's this idea that I'm I'm actually not a fascial therapist. I'm not a neurological therapist. I'm not a massage therapist. I'm not a structural integration therapist. I'm a disturbance therapist. I want to know what how is the client disturbed or un, unhappy or motivated? Those are the things that I want to work with because that's what they want out of the mm-hmm. session. I want to understand yeah. better where the gap is between what they're experiencing and what they want. So yeah. So as a disturbance therapist, what about the <laughs> person who wants to, who's actually feeling good in their body and they want to, it's like Maslow's hierarchy. They want to go up to, you know, actualization oh, and transcendence, yeah. you know, like yeah. feeling nothing's Just, disturbing me, but I want to, no, right. I want to transcend. Is, <laughs> that's it. So there's still that. So then it becomes what's their interest? What's their motivation? What's right. the gap? Where do yeah. they want to go? But right. you're right. It doesn't have to be a disturbance. In fact, it's so easy to get problem focused that that came up for me in the gathering these questions too. That it's so easy to ask about what's wrong. Yeah. Occasionally, the really the right question could be, okay, so what's what else do you notice in your body besides mm-hmm. that pain? Mm-hmm. Or tell me about some stuff that's going well. Or you know, what are you you know what feels good in your body? There's yeah. a moment uh, when that can be a really powerful uh, question to ask. Yeah. Bring into the awareness. 
Let me ask you this, because this is something I ponder about a lot in terms of trying to help people learn more about how to conduct a good and thorough interview and to delve into some of these things. Mm. And and I'd like to know, you know, if if you have suggestions or ideas when you're working with people to to train them on these kind of ideas, how do you know what are the good follow-up questions after that first good question that you asked? You know, what are you feeling in your body or what's going on? Then what's next after that when they tell you, well, here's what I feel. Like, how do you know where to go from there with it? It, you know, it's you're asking a bit about strategy there. Yeah. What is my strategy of time management through the session? Yeah. Depending on how how deeply I want to go into it, how it fits with my strategy, then I'm I might ask someone to describe it in more detail. Mm-hmm. I might ask someone to take some time to tell me exactly how far out into the body that pain goes, or where exactly it is, or which movements they make mm-hmm. that evoke that, or what they do that makes it better. Yeah. I don't, I, I ask these questions. I ask historical questions. When did it start? What have you tried? I want to know this too. But I focus even more on what they can do to change it and what they know about it in the moment, mm-hmm. because that gives me clues. And often, yeah. and often the next questions are, can you describe it? Can you reproduce it? Can you relieve it? Mm-hmm. Really, there's a place too for really detailed descriptions. Yeah. there's it's It's tricky because you can definitely um spend too much time focusing on what hurts but if i can get someone to paint the picture for me and describe it a little bit i get a lot of information that helps me mm-hmm. yeah i should probably say something about re-traumatization this idea that stories are really useful but if it's people want if it's really upsetting story a really traumatic story people often want to tell it to you in a in a way that's useful but in some cases, it can also be re-traumatizing for the person too. It can reactivate their uh, autonomic state or somatic state of the injury of the traumatic experience just to be telling a really upsetting story. Yeah. And so I saw that on your <clears throat> list of things there, and I was like, that really piqued my interest. But I, got, I was trying to think about yeah. this. Well, how do, you know how do you know when it's one of those things that might trigger more stuff or something that you should pursue even further. It's like if you see your client visibly getting uh, emotional or or having challenges going through things, do you think it's better to cut it off and not pursue it down that line of inquiry? But what if that line of inquiry is something that's really relevant to what they might be experiencing and you think it's helpful to know some more about it? You know, Really great know? question. Uh, again, it depends on what you're comfortable with as a a therapist, what the, the scope of practice you're working in. Mm-hmm. I think cutting it off is probably typically last resort. Maybe it's a redirect more than a cutting off. Mm-hmm. If you're getting to, if you, if you are worried, it, I mean, ugh, I'm stumbling because it is useful to hang out in the difficult spots with someone. It is useful just to hear the story sometimes. That's so healing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not every traumatic story is re traumatizing. Yeah. But maybe it's, it's a, it's a problem when they, someone is getting upset or reactivated or dissociating. Mm-hmm. We suspect about they they'd go really flat and they're telling of the story. So at that moment, some possibilities are to say, this is such an important story. What are you noticing as you tell the story about your body, about mm-hmm. your emotional state, energy state, yeah. just to ask them to start to track that mm-hmm. or to slow it down. Say, let's, let's just take, this is a really good, this is a really important story. Let's just slow it down a little bit. Yeah, make sure I get it, and then just feed it back to them. 
because it'll have its own momentum too. When you know that it's like a traumatic vortex, Peter yeah. Levine calls it, it has its own momentum and it's just hard to think or talk about anything else at some point. Mm-hmm. So to actually slow it down, to bring someone into their body, to take a breath, and even to ask, not just re-traumatizing stories, but any story. Some people just like to tell their story and could talk the whole session if you didn't, if you didn't at some point interrupt. Right. Yeah. But at yeah. some point, uh, may, you know, interrupting with an offer says, "Listen, we can. This is a important story you're telling me. Is this the way you want to use our time? Should we go ahead and talk some more about this, or is it a good time to move to the table?" Mm-hmm giving people that choice or just having them manage the time with you, giving some call to awareness to the way the time is being used. Yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes people will want to use the whole session to tell your story. And that can be some of the best sessions they ever had Mm -hmm. just to be really thoroughly listened to. At other times you both get to the end and you realize, Oh shoot, you know, we, we talked the whole session. Maybe we shouldn't have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you know, like you said, I think, um, especially certain people who don't have a good outlet for those kinds of things and nobody else in the healthcare wellness system or whatever it is has taken the amount of time it takes to listen to the whole story and, and see the the whole big piece of it. Uh, you know, and it's just, uh, that's, that's a big challenge. The average amount of time uh, in a medical consultation with a general practitioner before the doctor interrupts the patient 18 seconds. Yeah. I remember hearing that statistic one time. I was like, oh my gosh. Oh my you know? God, right. Yeah. We have that luxury of having more time than that. We don't yeah. We have the caseload of most phys- general practice physicians. So we can yeah. take the time. We can listen to people's story and we can give them the choice. Is this how you want to use the time? Mm-hmm. Go to the table. Yeah. Well, I want to make sure we don't leave this too far behind. Can you say something, Whitney, about key areas of a client's medical and health history that we want to make sure we cover? Yeah. And, you know, when I think all around those things, you know, it kind of gets back to me of of what we said at the outset of like, what's your goal in uh-huh. working with them? Because, you know, um, if your goal is, for example, doing something more along the lines of the way that I tend to work, which is trying to address pain and injury complaints, then you got to delve pretty deep sometimes with these things to try to find what is at the root of it and see you know, how it has fed into all different kinds of, of other potential things. Uh, and we are, of course, wanting to try to screen for any important contraindications that might need to be uncovered about things that would preclude us from doing some of the things that we're thinking about doing with them. So in that respect, we're working with those kinds of people. I think that stuff is is really quite interesting or or not only interesting, but, you know, essential Um and I think, again, back to what our primary thing is with our clients, you know, I, I remember also sometimes seeing some people with with chronic pain problems that just needed to be touched in a compassionate way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once we sort of clear out some of those initial contraindication things, it just became apparent they just need some degree of, of compassionate touch to settle down the nervous system and just begin to sort of erase all the adverse nociceptive activity and just sort of clean the slate and start start over again. So um, in some of those instances, delving into some of the, the deep history stuff, maybe it's not quite as critical, still valuable and still important. And you may need to make some decisions about how far I want to go down with this. But again, 
that's a lot of, to me, I think a lot of that is happening after we make that initial determination of what do they really want from this this time with us today. So what do they want informs the specific questions you go into. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, one of the most common things, and I'm maybe curious to hear how you address this as well, one of the most common things that I hear from students in the classroom when I talk to them about, you know, learning to do for example, orthopedic assessment much more comprehensively. And, you know, they start seeing like, well, there's there's kind of a lot to this and like you can really end up taking a lot of your time. And how do you deal with this when your clients come in, they want their 50 minutes of hands-on manual therapy and you spend a lot of time trying to talk to them about what's going on with them. And, you know, I frequently go back to that point of like, what's the reason that they're there? You know, if they did just come for you know, wellness enhancement with your work and just want to, to you know, get a, a, a wonderful experience of, of what's going on in their body from, from your hands-on manual therapy, then that's, that's one thing. But if they're looking for you to help them address a specific complaint, then the amount of time that you take really diving into that is extremely well-used time. And, you know, certainly a more than I rarely have ever had anybody complain about that and said what they do say is like, how come nobody ever did this with me before? You know, how come yeah, nobody ever took right. the time to really look into this with me before? Yeah. I, again, based on my conversations with people over the years, my working hypothesis is the therapist is usually more nervous about that than the client, about talking too long than the client. Usually the clients uh, are into, are in, especially the questions are good, or they're telling something important to them, it's the therapist who usually feels more pressure to get to the table. There are exceptions. Yeah. yeah. But at that point, that's when you check in. Too. That's when you can really get alignment around how we're using your time. Mm-hmm. But there are times, and what do you, how do you deal with this, Whitney? There are times when we might sense that a client's reluctant to share something that we think we need to know, or that there's some information we feel like we want, but we get a hesitation or some kind of reluctance. Yeah. So the way that I'll usually try to to address those things is try to give them some context of understanding why I need to know this mm. um, so that they can, you know, just like, you know, first of all, reemphasizing that this is a completely safe and confidential space where this information is not going to go past the walls of this room. But here's why I really need to know some of these things, because it can, in fact, be playing a significant part of what you're bringing to the table today that we need to, to be looking at. So, um, and again, just try to make that as a safe space as possible for them to feel okay about that. Yeah, that's right. And I guess it's saving our really key questions for that status too, because there's a lot of things we're interested in or that could help that we may not need to know mm-hmm. either too. There's a lot of work we can do, even respecting someone's desire for privacy or silence around certain things. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, can you say something about the role of informed consent in this context? What should we ask to make sure our clients really understand and agree with what we're wanting to do? Yeah, you know, my sense of that is that's become that's become a much bigger deal in recent years as we've sort of recognized that some of these things might need to have greater um, explanation or or clarity about what's really going to be happening and and. You know, I just hate to say this, but living in the litigious society that we are in, it is very helpful to make sure everybody's on the same page about what's going to be done, what's expected, what might be uh, a part of the treatment and that sort of thing. So any of these things that, uh, 
you know, and I would say informed consent is also something that, you know, can shift and change in the midst of your session. When you sense uh, something, let's say you're working with somebody and you sense, uh, like I had a client one time when um, I was working with them, they uh, had severe neck pain. And um, I had this client in a supine position. She was supine on the treatment table. And I began doing some just very gentle, I mean, like really gentle, just holding of the TMJ region and the backside of the neck. And she bolted upright off the table into a seated, you know, sitting position there, drapes and all, you know, just kind of like that touch was just too much. It triggered something and says like, okay, so now we need to go into why... Is it, why am I doing this? Are you okay with this? Is this something you want me to wait and let's, let's maybe not do that this session. We'll sort of see if we can graduate to doing this at a later point, you know, and that had never come up in the initial inquiry of, of what was going on in there. Yeah. It's, that reminds me of a story. Um, Early in my rolfing career, I was working on a client in the sixth hour and that's a face classically a face down session. And I'm working on her and I, I felt I'm working on her, maybe her glutes or her back of her trochanter or something. And I remember things were just really quiet, too quiet in the room. And I said, how are you doing there? And she turned around, she sat up and she says, listen, I just really need you to tell me when you're going to work on my rear and to tell me why. Mm-hmm. And I realized, oh my God, you know, I just was just following my protocol. Yeah. Didn't even think of that, of course. And so yeah. that was, I'm forever grateful to her for doing yeah. that. I felt bad, but it was like a great piece of feedback for me in that moment to realize yeah. mm-hmm. I just need to keep people informed, stay in touch with people. Yeah, sure. yep. absolutely. So that's that's become a, a much more um, important piece that I think, you know, yeah. that um, certainly a lot of us that were trained many years ago didn't think about as much and didn't focus on as much, but it's now a much bigger part of our 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 communication process with our clients. We learn pretty quick if we didn't yeah. get trained in that. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. So well, uh, should we talk about during the session? Is there yeah, let's talk about um, some okay. of the things during the session. Yeah, you've got some good, good juicy uh, things here to, to look into. Mostly questions for myself. During mm-hmm. the once we're at the table working away, the big question for myself is where is my attention? What am I paying attention to? And in my way of thinking, it's an awareness practice, this, this work we do. I want to be paying attention to my actual sensations in the present moment and my perceptions, what I see the client uh, doing, how they're moving, how their color changes, how they're uh, responding, what I hear them saying, the sounds of their breathing, and especially what I'm feeling with my hands. So it's always, where's my attention? What am I paying attention to? Not that I, it's not okay to ever space out or think about other stuff, that happens too, but it's a, a practice of bringing back to the present moment. And that includes my own body, of course, uh, especially as we get older as a, as a group of people doing this work together, taking care of our own bodies, making sure we're not over-efforting or we're setting things up in a way that's really comfortable really helps this work be sustainable. That's the essence of body use really is that question. Am I comfortable and focused in my own body? Am Mm -hmm. I aware of my own body while I'm doing this work? Yeah. And we do work that is so physical in that connection piece that I think, you know, and a lot of times, you know, I just like 
cringe when I hear some of the stories that bounce around on social media of things like, you know, practitioners working with somebody in a, in a treatment room while they've got one hand on the client's body and the other hand on their phone while they're just scrolling through TikTok or something like that. And I'm like, I cannot believe that this is where we live now, that this is something that happens, you know, but apparently it does. But, you know, for when people talk about that place of just like, oh, it's the fourth or fifth session of the day, it's the afternoon, I'm kind of tired, you know, I'm kind of bored because I've done the same sort of massage. To me, that's when it's really valuable to take that attention that you're talking about and just supercharge your attention on the whole thing of what you're sensing in your body and what you're sensing of that thing. You know, that's how you make that session interesting, is to really zero in on those sensations and you know what am I really feeling? What is really going on? And visualizing deep yeah. visualization of what those what's those tissues are underneath your hands and all that kind of stuff. And it really, to me gets you in a far more introspective and possibly even you know meditative state that's going to make your client's experience a whole lot better too. That's right. Now you mentioned TikTok. I find that really distracting. I find that I have to limit myself to Instagram during the sessions because at least those aren't moving as much. I don't even I don't even look at TikTok at all. I can't I'm take kidding. it. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I, I'm totally with you. This is a practice of the present moment in the room yeah. experiences. The second class of during the session questions are what are they experiencing? First class, what am I experiencing? Mm. Second class, what is the client experiencing? And there's all kinds of ways to stay in touch with someone's experience on the table. The classic one in a massage therapy context might be how's the pressure? Mm. That is a technically an open-ended question. It's not like, is this too much or is, you know, which is a closed question. Mm -hmm. And we can go a lot further. We could, we could be, I'm just going to brainstorm for a second. It could be the check-in of how how are things going? How is this? How are you feeling? Are you getting what you want? Or the next level, could this be even better? Mm -hmm. How could it, you know, help me tune this? Help this be even more exactly what you feel like you're needing right here. Yeah. Like, questions that help the client uh, play a part in really getting dialed in on exactly what they're needing right there. Yeah. And you bring up an interesting point here, too, that I would just like to sort of expand on for a moment. When we think about those kinds of questions that we ask all the time, like, how's the pressure? Uh -huh. um, because that can be kind of ambiguous about, well, I don't know, right. it's like smooth. You know, what, what, do you, what do you want me to say here? Okay. So, but the other thing is that I think it's really important for us to... Um, establish with our clients and I and I like to say to reinforce this multiple times that it's okay for you to tell me if something is not to your liking because there's a lot of people even though you might say that or you might say mm -hmm. how's the pressure mm -hmm. they don't feel comfortable telling you something's too much or really I, mm -hmm. I really would like more of this you know because what you're essentially saying is you're not really giving me what I want here um and a lot of people are really uncomfortable with that so the more you can set up that yeah. that uh, ground of this is completely okay, it's absolutely your session, and you tell me whatever you need to have this work better for you, and that's what we're going to try to get to. And and that's I, right. I feel like don't just say that once; you got to say it a bunch no. of times with them. Yeah, that's an ongoing process, isn't it? It's not enough just to give the disclaimer in the beginning. Tell me if something's not yeah. right. Yeah, because there's so many cultural, personal, habitual attachment style reasons that people will not feel free to speak up if something isn't right. We're working against that in every moment. I think this episode 
we did with Betty Martin, where she talked about that. Just the fact that there's so many reasons we don't say what when something's not okay as a client. Yeah, right. Our constant uh, attending to that without being invasive, of course, is so important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The last, oh, you, you were going to say? No, I was just going to say, what else you got? Yeah. Oh, yeah. the last uh, class of things that I think about during the session, how can I tee up their curiosity? How can I get it set up so that they're actually curious and interested in what's happening too? There's a set of questions I can use to help foster their interest in what's happening. So it might be experiments. Like, let's see, oh, this is sensitive here. Let's see what happens if you let your elbow float up a little bit while I do that. Mm-hmm. Or what do you what do you notice around your jaw when I work here instead? So I'll ask them these investigation questions. What happens? What do you notice? Let's see about so they become a co-investigator with me. And I'm asking them to track what happens and to report back to me about that. Mm-hmm. And we learn so much together, not only for me as the hands-on part, but in that refining of someone's body awareness. And they're yep. learning about their own symptoms, et cetera, that happens as a part of that curiosity cultivation process. Yeah. I think that's outstanding because that really does, you know, what we're trying to work towards is what's going to happen also after they walk out the door. We want to hope that they have an increased sense of proprioceptive awareness to tune into some of those things in their body so they can recognize some of these more subtle changes and shifts that that will help us do better work ourselves as we get back in the room with them. That's right. A lot of these questions are exercising that ability, mm-hmm. that body awareness, or body sensibility. They're asking people to engage it a little bit. Yeah. Right. There's a, a really important question. It came up a couple times in the Facebook thread too. The question I asked myself, how much time do I have left in the session? And what do we each want to accomplish still? Mm-hmm. It's like Jan Sultan, one of my early rolfing teachers saying the most important move in rolfing was this, was a, this, looking at your watch. <laughs> And he said, that's the most important move because that keeps you grounded in your strategy. That keeps you grounded in what you want to do, how much time you have left, the possibilities, the limitations to that as we go along. So it's that uh, sort of question I'll ask myself, but then I also might ask the client, hey, we got five minutes left. I'm going to finish with some neck work. Is there anything else you want to make sure that we incorporate before we're done? Yeah, I think that's great. I saw a couple of people mention something like that in the the question stream in there too, of saying like letting them know we're getting close to wrapping up. I don't want you to be leaving here feeling like you didn't get that last thing that you wanted. So is there anything else that you want to make sure we address before we before we finish up? I really like that. There's after someone's off the table or sitting up, there's a role for checking in about what's different now. Mm-hmm. What do you notice now? It's not the question, does it still hurt? Because um, sometimes the pain that they came in with, say, will be completely gone. Other times it won't. But you've set them up to not be valuing the session. Yeah. You make that your only measure. Mm-hmm. So this for is a sure. time for an open-ended question. What do you, what's, how are you yeah. doing there? What do you notice now? What's different? And then if there is a specific thing they notice, like say, hey, wow, my shoulder feels really light now. You might uh, make a suggestion or you might ask them. How, uh, what's a way that you might be able to touch back in with this later? What can you imagine or do or think about that would help you mm-hmm. remember this feeling for yourself? Yeah, right. So that's a lot of stuff in the session there. What about after the session? Like, Well, after the session, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the, the ending of the session there. Mm-hmm. 
I would say that's pretty much it for the session. Then there's a class of, say, mentoring and supervision of learning questions. Are we ready for those? Yeah, let's let's hit those. It's really this the questions that I ask myself as a learner, and this comes out of uh, years of supervision with practitioners, and now in the online format, lots of discussion groups, really understanding that for some people, forming, formulating a question comes really naturally to know what question to ask for supervision or for mentoring or for learning. people. Some people really can uh, nail it in terms of getting a question that's useful to them and interesting to everybody else. A lot of us really need to exercise that muscle. It's like exercising that curiosity muscle, catching these potential questions in the flow of the session or in the flow of my working with someone to realize, oh, this is something that I could ask later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't. I I I didn't quite know what to do with their shoulder when they said, "Oh, it hurts more when you do that." So that's actually a moment to capture and to bring to a later reflection on your own or research, or if you're in some sort of supervision setting, even conversation with a peer. What do you do when you're doing something and a client says it hurts worse? For example, catching yeah. some of the questions. Yeah, that's an important one because you know that's that's not something that we prepare as much for. You know, that sort of like what happens when we, what we do made them worse, you know, like, um, and that can happen for sure. So it's, it's, it's a good one to be thinking along those lines and potentially preparing for. Preparing for it, but then capturing a lot of it is capturing. I mean, I don't know if you do this for the articles you write or Whitney or the classes you teach, but my ideas, my own ideas for those come at the weirdest times when I'm walking my dog, when I'm waking up, I'm having a conversation and I've, I'm getting better at it, but I've learned I have to note it down immediately. Yeah. I have to like take out my phone and make a note or else I don't remember. I'm the same with good questions yeah. that I want to ask about later. When that client says, oh, it hurts more when I do that. And I want to know some different strategies for dealing with it. I got to note that down. And I have, for years, I used a template for my session notes that included what questions do I want to research more? Every session, I would try to come up with a couple of questions from that session. There are things that I could learn more about. And that is an amazing practice that I continue to this day. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to formulate a question based on the session I just gave. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. Yeah, definitely really helpful. And it's that it's that place of, for, you know, for a lot of us too, who were educated in a system that valued knowing, you know, knowing the answer to something, it's valuing that place of not knowing, of wondering. Yeah, which uh, gets kind of forgotten about and dries up and blows away for a lot of kids. Yeah, in the in the education system that doesn't really emphasize not knowing, but emphasizes having the answer. Right. Absolutely. I really like that idea of of putting that in your notes with each client about like maybe just a a quick little what what did I really learn in this session? What was a really powerful or interesting learning experience that I got from this client? You know, what did I learn? Where do I want to where do I want to take that and explore further? So uh, I think that's a great, I think that's a great activity. It's a good exercise for me. It's keeping my curiosity muscles exercised. Yeah. As the years go by. Right. Well, we, uh, should we do our closing invitation? Yeah, we have an, an interesting invitation. I think you had put up there for everybody. We want to know your favorite questions for your clients, for yourself or for mentoring. 
why don't you go ahead and record a short short voice memo on your phone and email it to us? And if it's one that we can use, we'll play it on air. We'd love to hear some of yours. Email it email it to us at info at thethinkingpractitioner.com. And then in, also in closing, I want to thank our closing sponsors. The Thinking Practitioner podcast is supported by ABMP, the Associated Bodywork and Massage Professionals. ABMP membership gives professional practitioners like you a massage, I'm sorry, a package that includes individual liability insurance, free continuing education, quick reference apps, online scheduling, and payments with Pocket Suite, and much more. I think I just heard you say ABMP gives you a free massage. Did I hear you say that? Don't quote me on that. (laughs) But their CE courses, podcast and massage and bodywork magazine always feature expert voices and new perspectives in the profession, including my esteemed colleague, Mr. Till Luca here and myself. Thinking practitioner listeners can save on joining ABMP at abmp.com forward slash thinking. So thanks to all of our sponsors. You can stop by our sites for the video, show notes, transcripts, and any extras over there. You can find that on my site at academyofclinicalmassage.com. And Till, where can they find that with you? Advancedtrainings.com. All right. So any questions or things you'd like to hear us talk about, you can email us at info at thethinkingpractitioner.com or look for us on social media under our names. Uh, your name, I think, today is still Till Luca, right? Yours is Whitney Lowe. Yep, that is correct. On Apple, rate us on Apple Podcasts as it helps other people find the show. That's how people find the show. This is based on ratings. And I wanted to thank, take a second to, to thank uh, some of the people that have left reviews for us. Aim Stewart wrote, I've been practicing massage and body work for 20 years and having access to a podcast like this that I can regularly listen to has helped me remain focused on my work in the morning as I head to my office so far, I enjoy all topics and guests. I really appreciate the work and discussions from Whitney Lowe and Toluca. Grateful. So thank you to answer that review. Take a second and let us know there on Apple Podcasts, if you would, how this is landing for you. You can hear us on there on Apple Podcasts, also Spotter, Stitcher, Audible, wherever else you listen. And please do share the word and tell a friend. Thanks for today, Whitney. Thank you, sir. Great questions. And we'll keep questioning things in our world and see where else that takes us. See you next time. Okay. Sounds good.